The message you're about to hear, The Gospel-Centred Life by Pastor Dan Gorey, was recorded on the 24th of July, 2022. And in the spirit of full disclosure, we had some issues with our recording equipment that day, so the quality you're about to hear is quite poor. However, the message was so darn good, we just had to upload it anyway. So please look past the uh, poor quality of the recording and enjoy the incredible quality of the preaching. So good to be back. This is uh, my third time speaking here over many years. I've done so well with Pastor Anna. I had no idea I've spoken here before. And so I really want to hopefully today be a little bit more memorable than that. Good catch. Let's not play sports with Ben. We can still keep doing music. But good to be back here. It is such an honor. Uh, I cannot live up to that introduction, but I'm going to do at least my best to talk about Jesus today. And several times when I get to speak, one thing I like to say is I don't see my role today as making Jesus seem amazing. What I instead endeavor to do today, what my goal is today, simply is to pull the curtain back so you can see how incredible he already is. Most Christians don't know the depth and wonder and beauty and splendor and awe of our Saviour. We spend too much time talking about Christianity and not enough time talking about our Saviour, Jesus. And so I have one endeavour today, one goal, a truly one goal. Pull back that curtain and help you fall even more in love with Jesus. If I was to sum up the Gospel, I guess, in kind of one statement, it would be the good news about Jesus. And something that really shifted in me when I was 21, um, long story short, my, my middle brother, has quite a prophetic gift on his life, and uh, he gave me one that was, it was one I didn't want. You know, this one, I don't know if anyone got one last week. This is one I didn't want. I was 18. My brother Chris came up to me and said, I see you when you're 22, and I see you clothed in rags. You're wearing rags, but on your chest, I see gold and jewels embedded on your chest. And I said, okay, that's a bit weird. At 21, my entire life fell apart. My best friend got diagnosed with cancer. My fiance left church, wanted me to go with her, and so we ended up breaking up. Uh, my mum and dad went through the GFC, declared bankruptcy, and not long after, split up. My oldest brother, who was uh, out of drug addiction, went back into drug addiction, and my entire life crumbled. And then and then, after four years of ministry, Jesus found me yet again. And I, I, I truly is what I would call my born-again-again experience when I started to dig deeper into Him, His presence and the Word. And even after four years of preaching and four years of leading in Bible college and leading a youth ministry, in that moment, I found grace. And on my knees, finding grace, I started to read the Bible through a different lens. And I started to pray through a different lens. And I started to worship through a different lens. And something that became very clear to me is that Jesus is on every page of the Bible. And Jesus is truly good. Everything about Him is good news. And so what I want us to do today is to look back and to look today and to look forward and to look at Jesus, and how everything about him is good news. If you're into theology, there are three words that you might have heard before. I'm just going to help some big, really big picture things anyway. One is justification. It's the moment we get saved. The other one is sanctification. It's the, the process of working out that salvation on earth. And then we finish with glorification, which is one day we're going to be with him face to face for eternity. If you have your Bible, please head over to Hebrews chapter 12. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read out the New Living Translation today. If you're new to Christianity, I, I would recommend this version to you. Uh, I personally like reading at home, New King James Version or ESV, but I love preaching out of the New Living Translation. It's the kind of puts it in words where you can follow the thought at a time. And so what I really like is we're going to catch this thought. Today I want to talk on staring at Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Amen? We do this. By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and he is now in the place of honor beside God's throne. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for how much you love us. We thank you, God, that you are here right now, and Jesus, you are at work in our hearts. You are here doing what I cannot do. You are bringing revelation so we can understand your word deeper. You are bringing your presence. You're bringing that peace that surpasses knowledge and understanding. You're bringing a joy. You're bringing a freedom. And God, we thank you right now that you are at work now, here, in us. And so first, before we even preach, before we focus on anything else, we just stop and we sit in your presence. We thank you. God, you are here now. You are at work. You're so good to us, God. You're so good. Lord, I thank you today for giving us eyes to see you clearly. Jesus, help us to see what you have done and what you are doing clearly. So we can truly give the praise you deserve. You wonderful name you pray. Amen. He's a good God, amen? He loves you, amen? God is good. God is good and He is for you. As Pastor Justin was saying before, I think it's such a beautiful way to sum up the Bible. Number one is that you desperately need Him. Number two is that He desperately wants you. That's wonderful. I think we finish with that. Pete, quick, get up. Bring the band up, please. Bring the record today. Coffee is on. Thanks for coming, guys. It's been so good to be with you. I'm going to go back to the guy. There's some things I want to look at right now. The author and perfecter of our faith. The champion who initiates, he starts our faith. And he is perfecting. He's at work right now in your faith journey. See, I've been in church my entire life. I'm the youngest of three boys. Mum and dad started going to our church when they found out they were pregnant with me. Number three, in fact, at the night when our church joined the C3 movement, Mum's water broke and I was born a few hours later. I've literally been a part of that church my entire life. And uh, up from two years down in Sydney doing Bible college, uh, when I was 17 and 18, came back on my 19th birthday. They asked me to take over the youth ministry, did that for eight years. Five of those years was young adults. Uh, when I was 25, got married to my beautiful wife, Hannah, we've been married 10 years now. And six months later, uh, I was talking to our senior pastor, Pastor Eric, about maybe going planting or praying about Melbourne or something. And he said, oh, let's have a conversation about you transitioning here. I said, okay, we'll, we'll see if God's in it. Anyway, uh, on a Thursday, he found out he needed an emergency triple bypass. On a Sunday, I was praying in as 2IC, the executive pastor. 
on a Tuesday. He had the operation and we were running the church for six months. And he came back and said, I think I need to retire. I said, okay, I guess we'll take it on. So there's that transition journey. We did a three-year transition and uh, uh, November will be seven years since we've been now pastoring our church and, and loving it. And something I, I want us to look at is that this, this verse is, is key to my heart. This verse is, is very present. I'm very passionate about this verse. But something that stands out to me, if I can be honest anyway, it's the start. It's verse 1. To me, is the heartbeat of Christianity. And let us, let us, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, if you're new to Christianity, the preceding chapter, Hebrews 11, it's called the, the Heroes of Faith. You're going to read about these incredible men and women who, who live this life for God, who live a life by faith. That's the, the cloud of witnesses we're surrounded by, staring at their example. Since we're surrounded by them, let us run with endurance this race God set before us. Let us strip off the weight that slows us down, especially that sin that trips us up. Let's strip that off and run with endurance, right? Like, that's a good message. That is our Christian journey. But I've got to be honest. Something always irks me. Something always gets on the wrong side. Something always makes me feel uncomfortable when this is preached at conferences or other messages. And the goal there, with that being the right message, is now do it in your own strength. Come on, Christian, you've been here long enough now. You should know the Bible well enough now. Uh, You need to run with endurance this race. You need to kill the sin in your heart. How do we do this? We resist the devil in our own strength. How do we do this? We study. How do we do this? We serve harder. How do we do this? We give. We invite. We gather. There's always practical tips in your strength and your wisdom and your ability to run with endurance and to kill sin. And I've got to tell you, that's not the gospel. You are called to run with endurance, Christian. And you are called to kill sin in your life. How do you do that? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. You are called to run with endurance, and you are called to, to be sanctified, made holy, work out your salvation. But guess what? You don't have the ability to do it. And that's the gospel. <laughs> the best news I can bring to you today is that you are completely unable to do anything you're called to do. It's <laughs> really good news. The reason that's good news is because God is not in heaven with his arms crossed going in person. Instead, he's a sympathetic high priest who resists temptation and is now sitting there going, God, 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 that's the second. Sometimes we invent a different Jesus. We're like, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I stuffed up this week. I've been to serve extra hard on Sunday. I better clean up. Maybe I'll go clean the toilets and then you'll be happy with me because I did the dirtiest job. Now I've earned back into your presence and now next time I pray you might listen to me because of something I've done. That's religion. I know we look at the Catholic Church and we're like, oh, so religious. I never want to be a part of that. Thank you, God. I'm a part of this, you know, modern, more upbeat church. Religion is alive and powerful in the charismatic Pentecostal church. Because religion isn't just tradition. Religion is your heart saying, if I do this, God will do this. The gospel is saying, because Jesus did this, I can now do this. 
So let's look at these three really big because I've only got 30 minutes. I asked Justin for three hours. He said, you guys won't be here that long. You won't listen. And I said, okay, 30 minutes. We'll do. Justification. Let's look back at the initiator of our faith. Great news. If you're here and you're calling yourself a Christian, guess what? Jesus saved you. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 10. For by grace, undeserved favor, you were saved. Thank you. Through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a free gift from God that no one may boast. You are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for the that he prepared beforehand. See, this, this is the mindset shift. God isn't against you doing good works. He's against you doing good works to get to him. What he wants you to do is do good works from being with him. See, that, it's, it's subtle, but that's the shift from religion to gospel. Uh, John Piper words it this way. The gospel isn't against your effort. It's against your earning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, I worked harder than any of you. But it was not I, it was the grace of God within me. So you, we're called to work hard, but it's from being accepted. It's from being justified. It's from being saved. It's from being welcomed into the family. Jesus initiated your faith. And it was a gift. I've got to say, with all the love in my heart, you didn't one day come to this place and you're like, I think I need Jesus' life. Isn't that great? And you mustered up faith and you mustered up energy and you came down and you found him and he was here like, welcome, I've been looking for you and waiting for you. I wasn't willing to come into your house, but now that you've earned your way here, now I can save you. That's not how it happened. He wooed you and he called you and he drew you unto himself. And when you came, he filled you with faith. Faith is a gift. The Greek word for it is pistos. Literally means saving faith. And it is nothing you can do by yourself. It's a gift from God. Now that we're saved, okay? Now that we are in the family of God, we're being justified. I need to make something clear. At the moment you are justified, at the moment you are born again, at the moment you are saved, you are completely loved. You need to hear this. This is really, really important. God cannot love you any more than he does right now. So now everything I do, everything I I, I serve, I still serve, I still give, I still invite, I still disciple, I still study the Bible, and all of that is an overflow of being completely and wholly loved and accepted by Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's all worth me. He saved me. He did it. And at that moment, Hebrews chapter 8, 14 and 15 will say, We received a spirit of adoption through whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You're a child of God now. You won't be any more of a child of God. It's positional righteousness. Bad. It happens at salvation in our moment. In one moment, the word justified is like a courtroom term. It literally means declared free, innocent, guilt, guilt free. Go, you're innocent. That happens the moment of salvation. But what I need to say is that the reason we, number one, I want to talk about justification is living in the gospel is about regularly looking back 
at the work Jesus has done in your heart and resting in that. Regularly look back at the work Jesus has done and rest in that. Once again, He can't love you anymore than He does that. He can't accept you any more than He does right now. Right now, you're a child of God. Right now, you're His. In Hebrews chapter 6, if you're familiar with Scripture, we read about the armor of God. Ringing a bell. One of the pieces I want to bring out right now is called the shield of faith, with which we quench the fiery darts of the enemy. Does that kind of ring a bell? Can you read that passage? Well, that word faith there, yet again, it's pistis. So here's what I need you to see. When we've got this shield of faith up, quenching the fiery darts of the enemy, what are the fiery darts of the enemy? Accusations, temptations, things coming against us from Satan, from a real enemy. When they're coming in a way, we absorb them into the shield of faith. But the shield of faith is not you going, I'm amazing. It's not you sticking your chest out going, I've got this. I can conquer Satan, I can conquer temptation. I am strong enough. That's not faith that the Bible talks about. The shield of faith, what we hold up, because it's saving faith, pistis faith, it's pulling up the work of Jesus that's already been done. So it's literally, as the accusations and temptations are coming your way, it's lifting up something in front of your eyes that quenches them, and it's the work of the cross. And what you're doing is going, these accusations are coming against me, but they are absorbed right now. Why? Because I'm already loved, I'm already forgiven, I'm already adopted, I'm already as loved as I could ever be, I'm already a brand new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. As you lift up your shield of faith, you're also reminding Satan, you're defeated. It's done. It is finished. When he was on the cross, it is finished. How does Colossians 2 word this? In verse 14 and 15, it says, When Jesus started the cross, he disarmed principalities and powers of darkness, making a public spectacle of them. They have no more authority right now. And then for you, and he cancelled the record of debt that stood against you. What does this shield of faith do? It reminds Satan he's disarmed, and it reminds you you're debt free. And you and I need to keep looking back at that to keep living in the gospel. So something I want to do today, just three really quick times, I just was referring to this as well, this, this moment of sitting and being with God, not to change topic too much, I was getting Christian counseling lately from this amazing counselor. And something he's t- helping me see is when I stop, I don't know if you like me, when I stop to try and have a moment of silence with God, my mind races over here. And start solving problems. I'm going to email that person and I'll sort this out. What he's saying is um, he's giving it a term called uh, unconscious self abandonment because God calls us to be present now and I'm, I'm not present, I'm away. So, what I want us to do is not just me be preaching the gospel, I want us to have a moment in the gospel because the goal of the gospel is not to know it, it's to live it, right? So, can we close our eyes for 30 seconds? 30 seconds. You are a child of God. I want you, 30 seconds, to be present here right now. You're in this building. Think of Jesus. And thank you. Thank you, God. That my death is paid. Thank you for nothing. Thank you that 
the sin in me, I deserve to go to that cross. The wages of sin is death. I deserve that cross. Yet you were innocent. You took that cross for me. This is how you demonstrate your love for me. God, thank you. Live in the gospel right now. That was it. Live in the gospel. That shifts everything for the Christian away from knowing the truth and living the truth. Live in the gospel. You're justified. You're forgiven. Let's get into point two. Second thing, sanctification. Not only is he the author of our faith, he's the perfecter of our faith. He's still at work in you, Christian. How good is that? It's not like he saved you and then he went up to heaven and retired and put his snuggie on and his feet on a little, little footstool. He's like, all right, now go and entertain me. Go and live this life. Be really good. That's not it. He's still here now. You're taking notes. I beg you to write down Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. I, I love it. Verse 5 to 11. Before that, it's one of the few times. Paul is a very systematic mind. You're going to say that Bible. Paul is very logical. I, I empathize with this. I'm not too emotional. Uh, of course, compartmentalist and systematic in my mind. That's Paul. He's, he's processing something. He works out things in his letters. There's kind of two main times he breaks out into him. One is at the end of you know, Romans 11, and it's like, oh my goodness, who is in the mind of God? Who would give him advice and from him and through him and to him all things to him be glory forever? It's like this overflow of praise and this poem. The other time it happens is here in Philippians 2, 5 to 11, right? See, the equality with God is something to be grasped, made himself nothing. Take on, I don't want to take too much time. Taking the form of a servant, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, death on the cross. Therefore, God was in the name of every name. In the name of Jesus, every knee about every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. That's like this poem. It's this overflow of praise from Paul. And then we go straight into verse 12, what we're going to look at right now. So it's, it's what he's about to say is from a place of praise. And he goes, ah. Oh, you can just picture him, right? You just picture that worship. He's finished the worship song. He's like, yes. And he goes, finally, brothers, brothers and sisters, since you are paid in my presence, now I pay even more in my absence. And work your salvation with fear and trembling. It's pretty big, right? Like, that's a big verse. And that's like I was saying in Hebrews 12, 1. It's like, run with endurance. Kill sin. Do it yourself. It sounds that. And sometimes we can stop on one verse and create a theology that is not really fitting with the whole Bible. And if we just stop in verse 12, it's too much of a work thing for me. It's like, work out your own salvation, Christian. Get to it. Stop struggling with that. Start doing this. Stop doing this. Just keep going in your own strength. And I'm so grateful to God for the next verse. A new living translation. I quite like the way it words it. It says, for God is at work in you. Catch this. God is at work right now in you. Giving you the desire and power to do what pleases Him. The gospel is on every freaking page. <laughs> Religions, then, work out your own salvation. Yeah. Like, All right, close the book. What am I going to do now? I've got to serve harder. I've got to give more. I've got to stop looking at that pornography. It's got such a grip in my heart. Do it in your own strength, then. Stop laughing. <laughs> Repent. All right, if I 
I can get rid of this, then Jesus will finally love me and Jesus will finally accept me. But I just keep struggling with different things. Modern day Christianity. Modern day religion. That's not God. That's not God. I want to help you right now. Something key. Something so Jesus isn't Jesus when he's in heaven and you're trying to impress him. Jesus is the full Jesus when you bring him into your sin and suffering. How do you say that again? Jesus isn't acting like Jesus. He's not being Jesus. He's not doing his role as Savior, Redeemer, Helper while he's in heaven and you're going, look how good I am. Here's my best side. Hiding his touch. Come back, come back. Don't let him see that. Come away. Here's my best side, Lord. Woo! How good am I? Come on now. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. That's not when Jesus gets to be Jesus. Jesus gets to be Jesus when you bring him into your suffering, temptation, and sin. Hebrews 4. 15 and 16 if you're taking notes. We referred to it before. But we have a high priest in heaven. A sympathetic high priest in heaven. He can sympathize with you because he was tempted in all the ways you get tempted. Yet he did not sin. Verse 16. Therefore, I remember Pastor Pat Ankliff. He said, whenever you're reading the Bible, that was a pretty good yeah. <laughs> Whenever you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, look at the verse before to see what it's there for. But it's a good point. We can read verse 16, what we're about to look at. Because of because Jesus was tempted in every way you are, yet was without sin. Because he sympathizes with you. The word sympathize in Greek is sympatheo. It literally means to feel what you feel. That's Jesus. So when you're tempted, he's like, I get that. Oh Lord, I'm tempted with grief. I get that. Tempted with lust. I get that. Tempted with position or power or praise for people. He's going, I get that. But he overcame sin for you. Verse 16, therefore, let us come confidently and boldly to the throne room of rewards for self-righteousness, because you've been amazing. Let us come boldly and confidently to the throne room of high five for the Christians doing perfectly this side of eternity. <laughs> That's not where Jesus is. Where's Jesus now? Come boldly and confidently to the throne room of grace. Why is it a throne room? Because it's king. Why is it grace? Because he has something you need but didn't earn. He's in control in that room. And what do you do in that room? What are we going there for? There you will obtain mercy and find favor when you need it most. Jesus isn't Jesus when he rewards you for your awesomeness. Jesus is Jesus when he helps you when you suffer. So bring him in. He's at work in you, giving you the desire and ability to do what pleases him. This is sanctification, friends. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And God, who is spirit, is making us more and more into the image of his son. It's a work of God. You can't become more like Jesus without being with Jesus. Being like Jesus is not an outcome of your efforts. It's a natural byproduct of being with Him. And you need, you need to catch that. 
Be with Jesus. Bring him into sanctification is bringing him into your weakness and your temptation and your failings and your shortcomings and your sin. Bring him in. One last Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 25, Hebrews 7, 25. Jesus now lives forever. And He is able to save. New Jesus to the utmost. Or save again and again in, us, in essence. Those who come to God through Him. Those who go to God through the work of the cross, through undeserved favor, through grace. Jesus is able to save them because He lives to intercede. That's Hebrews 7 25. He lives forevermore to intercede for you. What's his role right now? Helping you. Not being impressed by you. Helping you. Romans 8 34. Now he's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. This is the role he does. Now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's what he wants to do. The gospel is not like, thank you Jesus for saving me all by grace. And thank you that I can overcome this in my own strength right now. The gospel is thank you for saving me by grace. Thank you for continuing to save me by grace. Thank you for helping me work out this salvation. Thank you for helping me grow in my understanding of what it means right now to be a child of God now. Help me grow in that identity. Help me to flesh that out more. I need to rest in that more. Help me to work out this salvation that I fully accepted, that you are fully pleased with me, that you cannot love me anymore. Help me to work that out. Friends, Jesus wants You just need to keep looking at it. We do this by looking at Jesus. Let's keep our eyes up. I have no idea what we're doing. Let's keep going. So let's do it again. 30 more seconds. Can we just close our eyes? Set aside with Jesus right now. What I want you to do is not just thank Him. I want you to think of one area you're struggling. Let's be that vulnerable and open with Jesus. You don't have to say that loud. Think about an area you're struggling. Maybe you're struggling with temptation. Maybe you're struggling with unforgiveness. Maybe you're struggling with praise from people. You just long for people to accept you. You long for people to praise you. Maybe you're struggling with covetousness. You have no content. You're not content right now with the life you live. You always want all. Never satisfied. Just bring Jesus in. Say, God, help me. Thank you for helping me. Help this sin lose its grip. Help this temptation lose its power. Help it to see you lose. Bring it into this world.
don't know if you're anything like me, but last year really kicked me off by seeing the way Christians were treating other people online regarding all the issues that last year brought up. I don't want to get in debate with you, but the vaccine topic, the border lockdown. We, we passed it on the border. When the border shut down, a third of our church is on the other side of the border. You want to live in a tense place. That way. That way. But all these things are happening, and all I'm seeing is anger online and viciousness and, and, and this spraying this venom because they're typing through a keyboard. I was shocked. And now all these things about the war happening in Russia and Ukraine and the, the interest rates rising and inflation. Now I'm seeing fear and fear and anger and I'm trying to say to our church, that is not what Christians should look like. Christians should be marked by a joy that one day Jesus is coming back for his church. There should be joy in your face. I've got people, my members coming up like, are you concerned with all these things happening that it might be end times? With all the love in my heart, I look at them and I'm like, God, I hope so. <laughs> Do you know what it's like when he comes back for us? Do you know what eternity's like with him? Like you've got to have a good theology and gospel understanding of death and eternity. I'm not scared by those things. I can't wait. Paul says in Philippians 1, man, to, to live is Christ. I'm going to say here, although you say, but to die is gain. I can't wait. Bring it on. Christians should be marked. There should be, people should be able to tell you believe this theology by the way you live. In a, in a world and a culture of division and animosity and people are trying to nitpick and fight and especially attack the church, can I ask one thing of you? You're a carrier of hope. If the gospel is really here, really here, and even in persecution, we rejoice, right? Even when we're not getting faith with the government, we rejoice. Even at all of the anger and all the chaos going on, we rejoice. Why? Because we know the author and perfecter. We know the one who's already been there, the one who holds the future in his hands, the one who is working all things together for good, for his glory, for his praise. Guys, the gospel says it works out good. It's okay. Don't let fear have a place in your heart. Hold on to him. It gets better for us. You think it's good now? We were like a lot of the Haggadays back in the day. You know, Christianity was so much better back then. I'm like, you see nothing. Paul says, now we see through a mirror dimly. Then we'll see face to face. Like, bring it on. I'll finish with this verse, Romans 8. Can't wait up. Preaching on Romans for seven weeks at the end of this year. So I'm so excited. Every single aspect of this is going to be great. Romans 8, 23 to 24. And we believers also groan. Don't interpret that as you complain because things aren't going your way. Don't interpret that as you complain because music's too loud, the coffee's not being you like, or it's not done the way you like, or church is going to be over time, or guess speak about it too much. That's not what this is talking about. Where's the complaint box? I can't wait to tell my wife. Just find it out. Seems uncomfortable. Then talk too long. So, we believe it's also grown, but it's like a longing grown. It's an excitement grown. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long. See the excitement? 
sight with that? We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. And we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies He's promised to us. And we were given this hope. We were given this hope when we were saved. How do I look forward and how I'm confident tomorrow is going to be good? And I'm confident even the, the wars and the chaos and the tension, the persecution, that it's going to be good. How am I confident? How do I have hope in that? I keep looking back. He saved me by His grace and He loved me so much. And He's saving me now. He's at work in my heart. I am convinced that this good God who is for me, who is always in control, who is always sovereign, who is always above everything, who always holds the heaven and the earth in His hands, I'm convinced He's going to work it out for good. Because he's a good God. Give me the Lord. Give me the praise. And he's doing it because he loves you. He's coming back for his bride. Smile. Have a good. Be expected.